Hey, welcome to Access. John here. Are you stressed out, overbooked, and exhausted? Sometimes I like to hide from the world when I have too much to do, but I know that God doesn't really want me hiding in my man cave. Can you relate? If so, we're going to talk about how to get control of our busy schedules by surrendering control over to the Lord. Sure, it sounds crazy, but if we're going to get a handle on our time, we need to turn over our busy schedules to the author of time. So if you're ready to start living a simplified life, you're going to have to get control of your calendar. Buckle up and roll up your sleeves, because this message is entitled, Simplified Schedules. Have you ever heard somebody say to you, timing is everything? And you thought, really dude? kind of feel like you're overreacting a little. Well, I believe that statement's true. Timing really is everything. Um, For example, when you're presenting a joke, timing's important. A pause in the wrong place that's too short or too long can render a joke ineffective. Let me give you an example. I'm losing my hair, and I absolutely hate it. Let me tell you why I hate it so much. Sometimes in the morning, my wife loves to run her fingers through my hair. You may wonder, why do you hate that so much? Because I've already left for work at that point. You'd hate it too. Nailed it. (laughs) Timing is essential in joke telling, but it's also essential in business. Wisdom teaches us that we shouldn't go create problems or ask for a raise when things around the office are tense. Not if we want to keep our job anyway. If we want to make money in the stock market. We know that timing is important because you have to know the right time to buy and the right time to sell. And if you get the timing wrong... You could lose everything. What happens when we miss a bill or we pay it too late? Well, most of the time you end up owing more money. So timing is important in business. Timing is everything in cooking, especially when you're cooking chicken. Not enough time and it's still going to be raw and too much time on the grill and it's burnt to a crisp. Cookies in the oven, they need the right amount of timing to be delicious. Timing's important in business, it's important in cooking, but it's also important in relationships. Now, I'm going to ask you, have you ever experienced this scenario? Listen, I know this is our first date, but I think I'm falling in love with you. Um, no, (laughs) ma'am. You know, I once had a girl uh, ask my dad if I'd go out on a date with her. And I think my dad knew this was not the kind of girl that I would ever date in a million years. But, um... He came and asked me, and if it was any other person, I would have told him no. No, thank you, laughed in their face. But because it was my dad, and my, I'd do anything for my dad, he asked me, son, will you just, just take her to her dance? And I thought, fine, I'll take her to her dance. Well, um, while I was there, just so happens that um, she asked me, for one dance, and I thought, well, I don't want to be a jerk. I'll, I'll give you one dance. Well, she chose the very last dance. And during that dance, she told me, I knew I loved you the moment I saw your picture in your dad's office. <laughs> and consequently, the song by Savage Garden, I Knew I Loved You Before I Met You, was playing. Um, No, ma'am. Timing's important. Um, I, I'd say... Some other factors were important in that, but I don't know. I'm shallow. Judge me. Anyway, timing's important. Um, Timing's critical in the medical field. If we want to become aware of a disease, uh, we want to become aware of it early, not late, so that um, it doesn't get out of hand. So timing in the medical field is literally life or death. 
So timing is very, very, very important in life. I believe it's everything. You might feel like that's over an over-exaggeration, but timing is essential in our spiritual lives. Some of the most frustrating moments of my life have been trying to figure out God's timetable. Maybe you have also said something like this, God, I needed what I was asking for yesterday, but you seem to be content making me wait until tomorrow. Jesus was very conscious of timing. On several occasions, Jesus had, he had to tell his overzealous followers that their hearts were in the right place, but their timing was off. And most of the time, this was with his family. For example, in John 2, 4, he told his mother that you know she wanted him to save the wedding because they ran out of wine. And he says, dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. Because timing is so important, we should spend more than just a few moments considering how we're using ours. Ecclesiastes gives us some insight on how we should use our time. When Solomon became king over Israel, he asked God for wisdom. And God answered his prayer, and Solomon became the wisest and the richest man who ever lived, which (laughs) I hate to say it, but the two generally come together. Uh, But even all of Solomon's wealth and wisdom, all the, the wisdom that God blessed him with, he still got caught up chasing the wrong things, the things that didn't really matter. Now, Ecclesiastes is kind of, um, it's kind of like Solomon's sermon to the world. And he's telling us this in hopes of sparing us from the bitterness of learning through personal experience that everything apart from God is empty and hollow and meaningless. It's all vanity, he says in several places. Uh, He says, everything is vanity, a chasing after the wind, which I realize comes off as awfully negative and pessimistic, but this book... The book of Ecclesiastes is filled with wisdom on how to invest time in the things that really matter, the things that carry an eternal consequence. So today's teaching, um, we're, we're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, um, but society, before we go there, society teaches us that if we want to truly live, I mean, if you really want to live your life, you need to have the freedom to do whatever you want whenever you want to do it. And in order to do that, we're going to need a lot of money and we're going to need a lot of power. However, in this book, Solomon records that he had all the money and the power. And he basically had the freedom to do whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted. And he says that too was meaningless. It was a chasing after the wind. So um, Solomon gives us some insight on what our time on earth is is and how important it is for us to use it wisely. And he says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Listen to what he says about time. He says, There is a time for everything, a season for every activity under heaven. Um, Solomon tells us in this passage that all of life is a matter of of proper timing. And in the New American Standard Bible, it, it says there is an appointed time for everything. And that is an, that's a very, very powerful concept for every believer to comprehend that time doesn't just happen, that time is appointed. In other words, time is planned out. By who? By God. The Apostle Paul uh, practices or teaches this uh, to a group of people in Acts chapter 17, verse 26. When he's in Athens, he says, From one man God made every nation um, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And And he says, And he determines the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. So basically, God has got time all planned out. It's not an accident that you're here. We're created on purpose for a purpose. 
And our time is ultimately under God's control. And according to Solomon, God has determined an appropriate time for everything in our life. This is what he says. He says, there's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain, a time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Now what's interesting about each of these is that Solomon records several contrasting ideas. 14 positive, 14 negative, uh, or thereabouts. I don't know if keeping your mouth shut or speaking would be you know, a, a positive or negative, but he, he, he records several contrasting ideas. And what's significant about each of these examples, if you'll notice, is that there's only one of them we absolutely have no control over. We don't have any control on whether we were, when we're born. But if we wanted to, we could use extreme measures to ensure that the time for these other examples is now. But to Solomon's point, these examples have each been appointed by God. So in case this isn't confusing, uh, confusing enough for you, think on this. Solomon says there's an appropriate time to kill, an appropriate time to hate. Well, when is that time, Solomon? Solomon would say, well, when God has appointed it, which is why in the Old Testament, sometimes God says, hey, I want you to go kill all those people. What? That doesn't seem right. Well, God appointed it. He says, this is the right time. Now, I know this is some pretty heavy stuff, but we're starting to get an accurate picture of God's intentions for our time, or should I say, his time through us. I think we all know what a runaway calendar feels like. We've all been overscheduled, overworked, and overwhelmed, which is why it's so incredibly important for us to understand that if we're going to simplify our lives, we're going to have to somehow get control of these out-of-control schedules. Now, let me ask you, do you believe that our schedules can hold us hostage? Makes sense, right? I mean, we have meetings and appointments and projects and obligations on our schedules that we can't do anything about, right? Wrong. Sometimes when we talk about our schedules, we make it sound like we're the victims. We say things like, it's not my fault. I have to work or I can't help it. What do you expect me to do? I have to be there. But is that really true? Think about it. Is there anything that you absolutely cannot get out of? Your funeral, maybe? I don't know, prison sentence? But outside of that, are we really held hostage by our schedules? Maybe you even tried to simplify your schedule and it was like, it's okay for a little while, but it just quickly fell out of, out of order as soon as you took your hands off of it. Now, I understand there are certain things that we are obligated to attend, But the only person who lets our schedules get out of control is us. You can't blame somebody else for an out-of-control schedule. Say, I can't help it. Yes, you can. Nobody is going to come in and simplify your life for you. Nobody's going to come in and simplify your schedule for you. Now, if you remember, I said in an earlier message that simplified living is not for the faint of heart. This is something that is going to be hard to do. So this isn't going to be easy simplifying your schedule, but it can be done. Now think about this. If God has an appointed time for everything, would it make sense that he should be included in how we organize our time? 
Like, like God created our life. He's determined the span of our life, how long it will last. So doesn't it make sense that he should be involved? I believe that writing our schedules can be one of the holiest things we do because in truth, it's what we spend our time doing that determines who we're going to become. So today, the million-dollar question is, if God is the ultimate authority over time, and there's a season for everything, what would my schedule look like if I completely surrendered it over to God? Now, I think a lot of people might feel a little apprehensive about that because isn't God going to get me overscheduled and overworked and overwhelmed? I mean, am I going to get to do the things that I enjoy doing if I give my schedule over to God? Well, let me ask you a question. If you're already overscheduled, overworked, and overwhelmed, is there really any harm in trying to let God run things? I mean, because you're, you're doing a pretty terrible job as it is. Maybe you need a little help. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, John, you make it sound as if God is going to come down with a golden pen from heaven and you know, work out my schedule for me. But what if, what if God has already given us the things that we need to write our schedules? In other words, what if Christ has already commanded us on how to do this? God has given us principles in Scripture to help us with an overburdened schedule. Christ followers should think totally different about time than anybody else. Solomon says this in Ecclesiastes 7.2. He says, It's better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of every man, and the living should take this to heart. In other words, it's better to go to a funeral than to a party. Because we need to be reminded that death is not an option, it's a certainty. And we need, to, we need to live with that in mind. In our culture, though, we're encouraged not to think about death. Don't think about that, just live for today. Carpe diem, seize the day. But that's because, because death is only a mystery for the world. And it's, it's, it's more than that, it's, it's scary. Because it's unknown. But as Christ followers, it's not a mystery. We know what's going to happen. Scripture tells us what's going to happen. And for those who are in Christ, we have nothing to fear. Ephesians 5, 16 and 17 says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Time is short, and we're not going to be here forever. So we need to make our lives count. And time really is a gift, so it's up to us to make the most out of it. Well, how then am I supposed to fill the squares on my calendar? How we arrange our daily, weekly, and monthly calendars, I believe, is of great concern to the Lord. Our calendar has the power to determine who we will become as a person, as a Christ follower, as a family member, and as a friend. So our schedules need to be less about all the things that we have to get done, and it has to be more about who we want to become. Now, I believe the question we should be asking when we write our schedules is, what would God have me prioritize? Because let's face it, there's not enough time in the day to get everything done. So we, we have to prioritize things. Now, I think if we want to know what God prioritizes, we have to look at how Jesus lived his life. We have to look at what Jesus prioritized. Jesus was the embodiment of the Father on earth. One, on one occasion, Philip said to, said to Jesus, he said, just show us the Father and that's going to be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me 
who is doing his work. So he's saying, hey, I am the embodiment of God. Well, what did Jesus prioritize? I think the most consistent thing that Jesus prioritized, the one thing that he put before everything else, is the time that he spent alone with the Father. The most consistent thing that Jesus did was spend time alone with the Father. This is what it says in Luke 5, 15 through 16. He says, it says, Yet the news about him spread all the more, talking about Jesus. So the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Despite the crowds of people who come to Jesus for teaching and healing, Jesus still prioritized time with the Father above everything else. So what does that mean for us? It means if that's what Jesus prioritized, we as followers of Christ should be prioritizing that as well. Now think about this in terms of who you want to become, not all the things that you have to get done. Who do you want to become? Well, I know who God wants me to become. God wants me to become like Christ. So how often, though, do you spend time with God? When was the last time you had a quiet time? You sat down with the Word of God and you poured, you let it pour over you, I should say. Do you want to know what I have learned about quiet times? If you don't schedule time alone with God, it's not going to happen. That's what I've learned. Now, maybe we need to write on our daily schedules ATWG, alone time with God, or QT, quiet time. Somebody once gave me some great advice about quiet times. They said, if you don't schedule it, it's not going to happen. So you have to make it like an appointment. Agree to meet at a certain time in a certain place and have an open-ended agenda, which means there's something that you want from the study. So we'd be embarrassed if we didn't meet somebody else for a meeting, right? Well, why is that any different with God? I believe Scripture presents that alone time with God should be an everyday endeavor. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. So we're going to need some daily instruction on how to take up that cross. I spend time with the Lord by praying for insight, reading his word, and then reflecting on what God showed me for the day. And I even write it in my Bible so that I can come back to it later and reflect on it. I heard an idea about that that I'm going to practice. As soon as I finish and I'm almost done uh, going all the way through Scripture, I'm going to get a different Bible and I'm going to do it again. There's always things that you can learn from Scripture. And I want to go back and, and see how differently I used to think about God in the margins. Like you can have an open-ended ended agenda and it's and it's not wrong. Say, so God, this is what I want to learn from you. I want to I want to learn more about you from the book of Proverbs or Ecclesiastes or wherever. I want to learn more about you. So teach me, God. And then just spending some alone time with God. Now, I want to ask you another question. You know, spending alone time with God, that's that's amazing. And that should be prioritized, I believe, above everything else. But also, I think we should prioritize fellowshipping with other believers. Now, I'm going to ask you this, and it's going to sound weird, but do you write church in your schedules? I'm willing to bet that almost nobody writes church on their schedules. Do you know what the most common statement that I hear outside the door is? 
I'm sure glad I came today. In other words, there was a chance I wasn't going to. I think to, my, I think to myself when I hear that, I'm like, is it like you flip a coin and decide whether you're going to go to church or not? That's kind of weird. But I get it. Church is going different. Church, going to church is different for me. I get it. It's easy for me to preach about going to church because my friend, as my friend once told me, uh, I was pressuring him to go to church. He said, yeah, John, it'd be easy for me to go to church if I was getting paid to go too. I get it. This is my job and my church, so I don't really get a voice. But think about this. We see in Luke 4.16 that Jesus regularly attended worship service. It says he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. In other words, Jesus went to church. If it was important to Jesus, shouldn't it be important to us? When I was a kid, people went to church three times a week. Now we're so busy that people often only attend three times a month. And we wonder why our schedules are so complicated. If we want more of God's direction and purpose in our lives, then we need to adopt the same rhythm that Jesus put into practice. Write church on your calendar. Now, while spending alone time with God and fellowshipping with other believers should be the front runner of our priorities, I stand on the conviction that family should be a believer's second priority. In fact, if you're not going with your family, you need to pray about that and ask God to fix that. But before I lay out the second priority, I think it's important that we don't confuse ministry, church, and work, in my case, with God. I believe my dad had some trouble distinguishing the difference between these things, and to be truthful, it's something I have a great difficulty distinguishing as well. One day, Erin and I sat down at the table, and I asked her to write down what she thought my top three priorities were, and um, I did the same for her. And uh, if you want the ugly truth, ask your spouse to be honest with you. We got, I got, we both got hers pretty close, but you know, mine was all over the place. Erin, I'll just, I'll just tell you what Erin wrote down. She said that she thought this was my list of priority priorities in order, in this order. Number one, church, which for me translates to work. Number two, friends and having fun. And number three, God. Now, it might sound like these are healthy priorities, but it didn't do anything for me but break my heart. You might say, well, John, you're doing pretty good if church is your first priority. But that's why she included God at number three. God wasn't my priority. Church was. And there's a huge difference between the two. I believe that if God, if God were deciding my priority list, it would look a lot like this. Number one, God. Number two, family. Number three, Spurs. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm work, ministry. Number three, ministry. So the single most fulfilling relationships in our life has got to be God. But it would be near impossible to have our relationship with God intact and, and have grief and strife in our immediate family. Now, perhaps that's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, 23 and 24, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. First go be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. But, wait, my thing, well, Jesus did say in Luke 14, 26 that we're supposed to hate our family, right? We're supposed to love him and hate them. But that's not one of those passages of Scripture that we should look forward to. Jesus was communicating that there are necessary sacrifices a person must make to be his follower. Jesus doesn't want us in the wrong relationships with our family, but if it came down to a right relationship with them or a right relationship with him, he says, you must choose me. 
You must even hate your own life. Don't use that verse as an excuse to hate your family or even put them last on your priorities. So who do you put first? Work or your family? In Andy Stanley's book, Choosing to Cheat, Who Wins When Work and Family Collide? He says something, somebody, either your job or your family, is going to be cheated. And we have to decide whether it's going to be our work or our families. Now, After Aaron told me what my priorities were, I started writing a word into my calendar and it has changed everything for me. I realized I have to write H-O-M-E in my squares and treat it like a meeting for work that can't, I cannot get, of, get out of, which means sometimes people, I'm going to have to tell them, I'm sorry, I'm booked up that night, and I have somewhere I have to be. It doesn't do any good writing H-O-M-E in our squares if we're not going to stick to it and actually protect it. Now, to all the married couples with kids at home, who do you put first, your kids or your spouse? I believe when we examine Scripture, we should see that our spouse must come first. Then, closely follows, comes our children. I have to go to Andy Stanley again on this one. He said um, when he had his first child, I'm sorry, when the first child was about to be born, he and his wife Sandra uh, came, came up with two goals that has guided many of their decisions for marriage and parenting. Now he's old enough and his kids are starting to leave home. Uh, so this is really paying off for him. But he said, number one, the two goals. Number one, they wouldn't become the people that when the kids left home, they wouldn't have anything in common anymore. So for them, they wrote date night on their weekly calendars and they protected it. But number two, by the time their kids were old enough to leave home, they wanted their home to be a place where their kids wanted to be. And so they wrote game night on their weekly calendars as well. Now maybe we need to write date night, game night. Maybe we need to write camping or boating or some other form of recreation in our calendar to ensure that we're getting the proper time with our family. Now, you might say, well, how much is the proper time? One night a week? That sounds great. Well, slow down. Bill Hybels says um, he writes H-O-M-E four times, four, four nights of the week. Four? Why? Because he wants his family to get the majority of his evenings, not his work. Sometimes there there are things that we can't get out of. Maybe we're obligated to go to if we want to keep our jobs, that is. But maybe we need to to give our family the priority, not, not the leftovers. Simply writing home or date night or game night or whatever else in our calendars is not going to be enough. If we're not going to protect it, what's the point? We have to commit to being where we say we're going to be when we say we're going to be there. Do you know what that's called? integrity and God wants us to have it which is why I think we have to write work in our calendars as well for Jesus the ministry was his work which he prioritized just not above everything else when we signed on the dotted line and said yes to employment we made a commitment just about every workplace has requirements about starting time length of breaks lunch quitting time and we, when we signed that contract for employment, we gave our employer our word that we would abide by that code of conduct and meet those agreed upon expectations. Jesus challenged his followers in Matthew 5, 37. He says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. In other words, keep your word. If we agree to do something, we need to do it. 
So if we agreed to be at work at 8 a.m., we don't need to roll in five minutes after. If we agreed to complete a particular task, get it done, even when you don't feel like it. So do you focus on giving your employer your best efforts during your allotted work hours? Or is your mind and your heart somewhere else? Do you practice healthy boundaries and not allow your work to leak into your home hours? If not, you can use your calendar to make those adjustments. Our schedules don't have to be complicated. If it's not on God's priority list, it shouldn't be on ours either. Yeah, there are secondary tasks like laundry and we're going to have to cook food. But you know what? The priority is what matters. The rest of those things can fill in the cracks. Trusting God with our calendar and going to Him in prayer about what we should be doing and asking ourselves this question, who do I want to become, not how much can I get done, is the most liberating thing for our schedules. God is not interested in imprisoning us and complicating our schedules even more. Jesus said in 8 John, or John 8, 32, he said, then you will know what the truth is and the truth will set you free. See, Jesus isn't, isn't all about binding us and, 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 and keeping us from, from living life. No, he's saying, I'm giving you freedom. Jesus wants to liberate us, not imprison us. Maybe our schedules are crazy because we're prioritizing things that don't matter. Maybe we're fighting to keep things in our schedules that we shouldn't, and that's what's complicating things. And you know what? You turn your schedule over to God, God is going to find them. And he's going to tell you, no, this has got to go. Maybe that's the real reason why we don't want to turn it over to God. You know what? I think what we need to realize when we, we talk about our jobs stealing our lives away from our families, we, we, we say, I can't help it. I have to work. Well, maybe we need a different job. Maybe we need to trust God to give us a different job because our workplace can replace us. Our families can't. You'll never, your kids will never get a different mom or dad. They might get a stepmom or stepdad or grandparent. But the only mom or dad that they're going to have forever is you. You're irreplaceable in the home. Much of the time we work a job to ensure that our families get to enjoy all the luxuries we enjoy. Did you know things like cell phones and television and eating out and internet, those are all luxuries that we can live without, believe it or not? You say, yeah, I know that. Okay, well, let's talk about some other things. What about indoor plumbing, washing machines, refrigerators, microwaves, electricity? Did you know that all those things are luxuries as well? We don't need those things to survive. And listen, I'm not suggesting we go back to the Stone Ages here. I'm just trying to give us some, give us some perspective here. It'd be hard to live without these things. But we could do it if we had to. So maybe we're just fighting to keep all the luxuries that we, we want to enjoy. And that's why our schedules are so complicated. Maybe we're fighting to keep all those luxuries when we should be fighting for our relationships with God and family. Maybe God and family isn't even on our priority list. You know, for years, I prioritized a drug addiction. All day, every day, I was a stoner. And that's what I wrote on my squares. Get high. Everything else in my life was secondary or non-existent. 
And that's meaningless. Can you relate? Listen, God doesn't complicate things. He simplifies them. He's not the God of chaos, but the God of order. Solomon knew that, and he spent much of his life with his priorities out of line, which is why he concludes the book of Ecclesiastes the way that he does. So I want to conclude today's message with the final words of Solomon in Ecclesiastes because I believe it should help us get some perspective on what really matters in life. God's priorities should be our priorities. This is what he says, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. He says, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. This is all that matters. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. I believe God wants us to be like him. And if we're going to do that, we need to study his word and do what Jesus did. And when we do, we will be amazed at how our schedules move from overscheduled to simplified. Sound impossible? Well, surely you know that nothing is impossible with God, right? Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.